Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Nightly Business Report with Bill Griffith and Sue Herrera. New records. The Dow and the S&P close at all-time highs as the rally rolls on into year's end. Private push. California is considered the capital of the tech world, and that state is about to set a new standard for Internet privacy. Ringing in the new year, Art Cashin is considered a legend on Wall Street, a fixture on the New York Stock Exchange, and tonight he shares his predictions for 2020. Those stories and much more tonight on Nightly Business Report for Friday, December 27th. And we do bid you a good evening, everybody, and welcome. Sue is off tonight. Now, every year brings newfound optimism, and that sentiment has arrived early on Wall Street. That's pretty clear. The Dow closed at yet another fresh record today. The S&P also eked out an all-time high, putting it on track for its best year in more than two decades. Today, the Dow gained another 23 points. We're now at 28,645. The Nasdaq slipped a bit from its peak but still remains above 9,000, and the S&P rose by 11 cents. And by the way, it also notched its fifth straight week of gains. Now, much of the focus this week has been on the technology sector, with the Nasdaq breaking through 9,000 for the first time yesterday. We told you which stocks helped power that index to that level. Tonight, Dominic Chu takes a look at the stocks that could take it even higher. Stocks like Microsoft, Facebook, Apple, and NVIDIA have been helping to push the Nasdaq to outperform over the major U.S. indices. If the bullish trend in markets continues into the year 2020, which Nasdaq stocks are expected to do the heavy lifting? Since the Nasdaq is a market-valuated index, the biggest companies have the most influence over performance. Among the biggest names with market values of at least $100 billion, a handful are expected to produce double-digit percentage gains. According to data compiled by FactSet, eight stocks currently fit the bill. Among them, streaming video giant Netflix, where the average analyst target price implies a 10% gain. Netflix will be navigating an increasingly competitive media landscape with a slew of new streaming video services going head-to-head with it in the coming months. Semiconductor maker Qualcomm has an average analyst target price that implies a gain of 12% thanks to the rollout of 5G wireless technology. Social media company Facebook could rise by 15% if analyst projections are correct. Payment services company PayPal could see a gain of 17% in the coming year, per those analyst estimates. And then there's Amazon.com. Analysts say the online retailer could rise by 17% next year as well. It's coming off a record-breaking holiday shopping season. And while growth is slowing down at its Amazon Web Services cloud computing division, it's still one of the biggest players in the industry. If the bull market does manage to find more room to run in 2020, those could be among the stocks helping to push the Nasdaq towards the next 10,000 mark. For Nightly Business Report, I'm Dominic Chu. 
Let's turn to Clark Kendall to talk more about uh, this record-setting market and what he sees ahead in the new year. He's president and CEO of his own investment and wealth management firm, Kendall Capital. Clark, thanks for joining us tonight. Bill, thank you for having me on uh, this evening. It's an honor. Uh, and I hear you're a bit cautious going into the new year, yes? Well, the market's moved a long way over a short period of time, especially this fourth quarter. And there's been great divergence between the growth stocks and the value stocks. So I think people need to be cautious. Look at the opportunity to rebalance your portfolio. Yeah, I mean, you're old school, clearly. Your advice uh, is just don't target the indices. Look for companies that are of a good value and have a good product. Is that the idea? That's the idea. And I think sometimes it's good to know kind of where not to invest. The top 50 stocks now of the S&P 500 represent 50% of the S&P 500 uh, market cap. They've done well. We saw the same thing happen 20 years ago, 1999. We saw a concentrated portfolio. I think there's opportunity in those other 450 stocks of the S&P. <laughs> you would think. Give me an example. What's a company you like right well, now? Well, we like, as I said, there's been great divergence for the value and growth stocks. We like things like Taylor Morris Homes. We like things like Lear, the component maker of cars. And also, I like the logistics and the... Uh, the uh, XPO, logistics, right. and water, the trucking companies. I think all those companies are trading 10 times uh, or less cash flow. I think there's great opportunities there. Now, our old friend Marty Zweig is the man who coined the phrase, don't fight the Fed. You, fi you uh, subscribe to that as well. But the Fed really isn't going to be in the way, I would think, this next year. They've already said they don't plan to do anything with interest rates. That's correct. Jerome Powell basically has said we're going to have low GDP growth, low interest rates, low unemployment. So I think we need to be cautious. I think this kind of go-go that we're paying a premium for the growth stocks, we need to be worried about. And I think we need to focus back on the fundamentals of just in buying good stocks. Clark Kendall with Kendall Capital. Again, thanks for joining us. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Now, with tech still in focus, it turns out the sector could be a big beneficiary of the new trade deal with Mexico and Canada. Ilan Mui took a closer look at that agreement, tells us what she found. The USMCA is the first U.S. trade agreement with an entire chapter devoted to digital trade. And the tech industry hopes it'll be a framework for future deals. Digital trade and physical trade are both very important in the modern economy. And we want to make sure that trade rules, rules that permit the free flow of goods across borders, also include the free flow of digital goods as well. The USMCA includes a commitment to never impose tariffs on information as it moves between countries. The deal also prohibits the U.S., Mexico, and Canada from mandating where that information should be stored. This provision is critical for cloud service providers like Amazon, but also think about connected wind turbines or even smart fridges. Companies say that is essential to making sure those devices operate seamlessly. It's important to remember that every industry really is the technology industry. This is an important agreement for the tech sector, but we also think it's important for customers of the tech sector. Whether it's agriculture or medicine, whether it's education or financial services, all industries benefit from the cross-border flow of data. According to a government analysis, the deal is projected to boost the economy by removing uncertainty for businesses. Companies know the rules of the road won't change, and that confidence could raise GDP by as much as 1.2% and create 589,000 jobs. 
but there was some last-minute controversy over safeguards for social media companies. Under the agreement, Canada and Mexico have to grant online platforms legal immunity from user posts. Now, that's similar to a provision in U.S. law known as Section 230. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi was initially opposed to including that language in the deal, but eventually she had to back down. Well, it's no use going into it. I mean, I lost. He had 230 in the agreement, which is, in my view, the wrong way to go. It's a real gift to big tech. A victory for the tech industry in the House, USMCA passed with broad bipartisan support. The Senate is now expected to take it up in the new year. For Nightly Business Report, I'm Ilan Mui in Washington. Now, trade with China was arguably one of the biggest issues for the market in 2019. And even though progress was made, there's still a lot of work to be done in the new year. Our Beijing correspondent Eunice Yoon spoke to the experts. She has some predictions for 2020. Investors will have a lot to watch for in China in 2020. First, while a phase one deal is expected to be signed in January, trade negotiations between the U.S. and China will continue as the U.S. presidential election approaches. There will likely be uncertainty over what major American tech companies are allowed to sell to the Chinese and whether Chinese tech firms will be blocked from doing meaningful business in the U.S. Second, China's economy will remain in focus as leaders look for ways to manage the country's lowest growth in decades. Policymakers have indicated that they prefer to stabilize the slowdown rather than use policy to reverse it. And third, unrest in Hong Kong looks set to stay a sore point for China's leaders into 2020. How Beijing handles that relationship will continue to impact China's standing in the world and the attractiveness of Hong Kong as a global financial center. For Nightly Business Report, I'm Eunice Yoon in Beijing. And this year in the housing market, demand for single-family rentals really took off, and that meant big gains for the big new companies behind millions of rental properties. Diana Olick explains. In today's tight and pricey housing market, more potential buyers are remaining renters and turning to single-family rental homes. Stocks of the major REITs behind these properties, like Blackstone's Invitation Homes and American Homes for Rent, are way up year-to-date. And companies that help investors buy and sell rental homes, like Roofstock, are also seeing explosive growth. Actually being able to transact uh, buying and selling homes online uh, is really powerful, where you could squeeze out a lot of the friction and cost and pain around buying and selling homes, doing it at a, a much lower cost. Roofstock launched three years ago, but just surpassed $2 billion in rental property transactions. It also helped facilitate $210 million in sales for invitation homes. The number of sellers on its site has increased tenfold from last year. You could come to us with, say, $5,000 and buy a share of a rental home, all the way up to if you have $500 million in your large institution and want to put that to work or sell a large portfolio, we can, we can cater to that as well. A new index just launched this month shows both current leasing and expected leasing over the next six months at very strong levels. The occupancy rate is also at a solid 96%. And builders are also turning to the market, putting up some of the first rental-only communities, like this one in San Antonio from AHV Communities. Big names like Lennar are also getting in the game. The rental market is benefiting from a severe shortage of existing homes for sale. Millennials who are aging into their parenting years are looking for more space in neighborhoods with good schools. As it gets harder to find or afford those homes, the rental market will reap the rewards. For Nightly Business Report, I'm Diana Olick in Washington. 
Still ahead, California is about to enact unprecedented privacy protections on the Internet, and it could be a blueprint for others. horizon for financial markets at pgim it's a question that over 1400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals specialized across asset classes but united in collaboration our teams provide global and local expertise our investments shape tomorrow today pursue your tomorrow with pgim a leading global asset manager Among the many regulatory changes coming in the new year, firms in California are scrambling to comply with the state's new privacy law, which aims to reshape the rules of the Internet when it comes to your data. Jane Wells is in Los Angeles. California often tries to set national policy from the West Coast, whether it's auto emission standards or clean energy or how to classify workers in the gig economy. Starting January 1st, it sets a new standard for Internet privacy know that you're going to have far more control and choice when it comes to your personal information than you've ever had. This is a law that's really unprecedented in the United States. By January 1st, companies doing business in California will have to make it clear on their home pages in this state what they do with customer data. There'll also have to be a button there so customers can opt out of those policies. They also have to make it clear to you how you can find out what data they have on you. Violators will face fines and lawsuits. Many organizations are not going to be ready. Consultant Andrew Shackstead says some companies may not realize they have to comply. Under the law, any business with at least $25 million in revenue or which holds data on at least 50,000 customers or which makes at least half its revenue selling customer data, has to obey the law. Your business does not have to be based in California. You just have to have at least one customer here. It's created a mini-boom for the compliance industry. There are certain governmental figures that place costs at about $50,000 for compliance, all the way up to $2.5 million for compliance for this one law. Companies have been sending out emails warning Californians that change is at hand. Google is already preparing to change when and how it sends out personalized ads. Microsoft plans to use California's law as a blueprint for its national privacy policy. But Facebook is reportedly pushing back on what it has to disclose, suggesting that under the letter of the law, it's technically not selling customer information, just sharing it. Finally, what if President Trump, who has feuded with California over other policies, decides to step in on this one? Do not undermine the ability for us in California to protect our consumers over the Internet and and do everything you can to improve on what California is already doing. As the tech capital of the world tries to protect its citizens from much of its own business model. For Nightly Business Report, Jane Wells, Los Angeles. A different California law is pushing for more diversity on corporate boards, which, of course, has historically been dominated by men. 
The regulation mandates that public companies have at least one female board member by the end of this year. And as Julia Borston reports, changes are happening. The face of the boardroom is indeed changing. This year, the percentage of first-time directors that are female is 57%, up from 42% in 2017, according to Spencer Stewart. One organization helping female directors, the board list. It matches companies with qualified female board candidates. That organization tells us it saw corporate searches for female directors more than triple to 300 in 2019. And it's not just in California. The board list says it sees the California law having what it calls a halo effect across the country. Now, that halo is extending beyond gender. Diversity is also in focus. The percentage of first-time directors that are minorities is 31% of 10% from 2017. Thanks to new appointments, women now comprise 26% of all directors, up from 16% back in the year 2009. Some analysts have raised concerns of overboarding, the idea that directors could be stretched too thin with too many board seats. Now, that risk has been mitigated, though, by proxy advisors, asset managers such as Vanguard, and companies placing limits on board commitments. Directors of S&P 500 companies serve on two boards on average, and that number is unchanged over the last five years. For Nightly Business Report, I'm Julia Borston. And one of the biggest issues facing businesses, both big and small right now, is the possibility of being hacked. As criminals become more sophisticated, the odds of a data breach rise, and that has meant more money being spent to protect corporate networks. But some firms are doing it in a different way. Here's Kate Rooney. Goldman Sachs, Capital One, and the U.S. military are paying hackers to break into their systems and find flaws before criminals do. It's called a bug bounty program. Most of the big tech companies have these programs. Startup HackerOne connects a network of white hat hackers to Fortune 500 companies and to government agencies. The freelancers get paid in exchange for finding vulnerabilities. We're allies, right? Uh, We're not just some sketchy people in their mom's basement who are, you know, out there to cause damage. According to IBM, the average cost of a data breach in the U.S. is $8.2 million. HackerOne CEO Martin Mikos says banks are especially at risk because of the big payoff of getting financial data. Neighborhood watch. We come to your house, we look for ways to break in, and if we can break in, We tell you, we don't break in. The company is becoming a popular bet for investors. It's backed by Microsoft, Facebook, and Mark Benioff. For Nightly Business Report, I'm Kate Rooney. Michaels names his new president and CEO, and that's where we begin tonight's market focus, with the arts and craft retailer announcing that Ashley Buchanan will be taking the reins of the company in the new year. Buchanan comes from Walmart, where she was a longtime senior executive, and Wall Street cheered this move. Michael's shares jumped almost 33% today to $8 even. Another executive is leaving Boeing. The airspace company, uh, longtime general counsel Michael Luddig, is going to be retiring next week. Luddig was appointed back in the spring to lead the company's legal strategy and to be an advisor to the board after the second 737 MAX crash, which led to its grounding. That stock was up a fraction today to 330.14. Comcast is reportedly in discussions to buy video streaming company Zumo. Financial terms of the possible deal were not released. Comcast's own streaming service called Peacock is set to launch in the spring. Shares rose a fraction today to 45.10. And just a reminder, Comcast is the parent company of NBC Universal, which produces this program. 
Tesla is set to deliver its first Model 3 cars from its new Shanghai facility on Monday. In fact, the first 15 customers to receive them will be Tesla employees. The electric automaker has agreements now with Chinese lenders to borrow more than $1 billion as it ramps up production in that country. Shares of Tesla fell a fraction today, 430.38. Spotify is banning political advertisements on its music streaming flat platform next year as the election season starts to heat up. The company says that the change is also going to apply to its original and exclusive podcasts. Shares of Spotify were up a fraction today to 153.17. All this week, we've been getting you ready for the new year with a week of market monitors. And tonight's guest is betting on the consumer in 2020. She has three names that she says could benefit from stronger consumer spending. We welcome Victoria Fernandez tonight. She's chief market strategist at Crossmark Global Investments. Victoria, good to see you. Thanks for joining us tonight. My pleasure, Bill. And you're choosing some brand names. First, Apple. A lot of skepticism on Apple the last few years. Slower iPhone sales, lack of innovation, the slow start to Apple Plus, the streaming service, and yet the stock sits near an all-time high. You still like it going into the new year, yes? We do like it. We actually just bought it in our portfolio over the last few weeks. And I think there's a lot of momentum going forward. Like you said, a lot of it's based on the consumer. Yes, the phones have not done as well as um, people had expected, but we've got AirPods that are selling out everywhere. With the new 5G service coming, then phones should start to sell better. And really, the services will continue to do well. The TV Plus was off to a slow start, but they're going to be building on that. We hear Apple's in talks with MGM, with the Pac-12, to bring sports online. So I think there's some advantages for the stock going forward. Amazon is your second pick. Now, a lot of skepticism about this company for years as well. When were they ever going to turn a profit? And admittedly, this stock has gone sideways essentially for the last 18 months. Why do you like this one going into the new year? Well, and that's one of the reasons, Bill, right? We have seen the stock move higher and higher. It has gone sideways. It's actually pulled back a little bit lately. But we're starting to see some changes in Amazon. Yes, they have their cloud business. They bought Whole Foods, so they went into the food business. But one of the most expensive costs for online shoppers has been delivery, at least for the company, right? Target and Walmart and all those companies are paying a lot of money to do same-day or next-day shipping. And now Amazon is looking to build out their own delivery delivery service. And we think that going forward, that can help the stock price. Finally, electronic payments, very popular these days, especially with millennials. A lot of businesses getting into that area. But MasterCard is your choice in the payments area. Why? It really is. When you look at all of the online things that we have going on, it's not just the online shopping like at Amazon that we just spoke about, but it's payments. Online payments are happening. People do it for their bills, for subscription services. All of that is really growing. And behind all of that, on the backside, there has to be a credit card. MasterCard has a great balance sheet. They have good cash on their balance sheet, and we really see them doing well as the consumer continues to be strong in 2020. Victoria Fernandez with Crossmark Global Investments. Again, thanks for joining us and Happy New Year. Same to you. And coming up, he's known as the Dean of Wall Street. And tonight, Art Cashin shares his predictions for 2020.
Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Art Cashin has been a mainstay on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange for more than half a century. He first started working there back in 1964. Many consider the director of floor operations for UBS to be an institution all by himself, a reassuring voice during times of both booms and busts. His opinions are sought after. His analysis is so valued. So as 2019 comes to a close, Arbab Pisani asked him what he sees in the year ahead. We sat down with Art Cashin at Bobby Van's Steakhouse to chat about what's ahead in 2020. His first prediction, despite a still strong U.S. economy, there will be no Fed rate hikes in 2020. And absolutely no rate hikes, because I think the Fed is somewhat intimidated by the market, and the market, if anything, thinks the Fed is ahead of itself on higher rates. Prediction two, the market win streak will continue. The broader indexes will all be up in 2020. Eight out of nine times that we've had an up year like we had this year, it's followed by another decent up year. Not quite as strong, but uh, notably strong, and so I'll go with history. Prediction three, stocks may be up, but there will be several periods of volatility, particularly in January, March, and July. In late January, we'll get to see if there's going to be a Brexit now that Johnson got a sweeping move in Parliament. Uh, And will he, in fact, push through a no-deal Brexit? That could make the markets very volatile and jumpy. The next thing will be the U.S. election. And that will only be a contributor to volatility when we begin to get a handle on who the Democratic nominee will be. So that, to me, gives two yardsticks. Number one, early March, when we will get Super Tuesday and one-third of uh, the U.S. populace will vote. And we'll get to find out where Bloomberg's strategy is, who looks to be the leader. Has anybody locked it up? If not, then it could be a brokered convention, and that date would be in the middle of July when the convention will be. For Nightly Business Report, I'm Bob Bassani. Before we go, a final look at the day on Wall Street. More records, the Dow and the S&P at all-time highs. NASDAQ did slip, though, from its peak, but still remains above 9,000. In fact, the S&P notched its fifth straight week of gains. Finally tonight, before we go, we have some news to share with you. After nearly seven years and more than 1,700 broadcasts, tonight's episode of Nightly Business Report, produced by CNBC, will be our last. 
It's been an amazing journey for Sue and me and for Tyler Matheson and Susie Garib before that. NBR was created almost 41 years ago by Linda O'Brien, who I happen to know is watching with great pride tonight. It's been an honor for all of us, both in front of and behind the camera, to bring you the most important business and economic news every night. We want to thank everyone in the public television community for their support. But most of all, we couldn't have done this without you, the viewer. So from all of us at NBR, we thank you very much. I'm Bill Griffith, and to close things out, I gladly defer to the man who for many years was synonymous with this program, the late, great Paul Kangas. Wishing all of you the best of goodbyes. podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.